Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab, step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. Going on, everybody. This is the feed to Embiid on a late, late Monday evening. Uh, uh, I am Austin Krell, as always. I'm on Twitter at Krell. He rock my my good friend. How are we tonight? I'm chilling, AK. I'm I'm doing my own thing. You know how we operate. I mean, I haven't been. I haven't been in this in a few days. I've been up grinding for a couple of days now, but I'm enjoying every just, minute of it. Just the videos, right? Yeah, the videos, but I mean, I got school, so I guess that counts too, but I'm, I'm mainly considering <laughs> uh, when I answer this question, just the videos. Okay. Okay. Well, so the reason we're late is I was watching a movie. Uh, which was, you know, I had to get in. I had a little while since I watched a crime, a crime thriller. So I was had to had to get my fix in, and I wasn't doing anything else tonight besides this. So you know, had to uh, had to get some of that in. Um, but we do we do have a lot to talk about tonight. Um, Sophia Yeager says hi, hi Sophia. Thank you for tuning in. Um, now, box so out the Sixers. They go three and one this past week. Um, they go. They they lose on Monday in Detroit in the game that was like a snooze fest, pretty much mm-hmm. through and through. Um, but then they play the Lakers. Um, that game they had control really throughout the entire game up until the last like two seconds. And then uh, I, I, thought, I thought the Lakers ran a really 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 good play um, for you know for, to take the lead. It was like a side. It was like a side. Uh, split screen for Anthony Davis to curl around and then cut to the rim and Braun fed him perfectly. Um, so, you know, they, 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 they get the, they take the lead. Tobias Harris comes out and he just hits the, he hits the, 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 the patented mid range jumper against Alex over Alex Caruso uh, to give the Sixers the lead. They win the game by one. Then they go to Minnesota, blitz. They, they blitz the Timberwolves. That team is horrible in Minnesota. They are horrible. Mm-hmm. They stink. Um, and then they wrap up the weekend, the week with a, a, a thrilling victory against the Pacers in Indiana on Sunday. Um, with the name of the podcast is in his own for a reason. The, the Sixers, they, they come out, they go, uh, they go, I think it was a 2 3 zone in the, um, mm-hmm. in, in, in the, in the final. At least the final quarter. Maybe it was a little less than that, but basically the the final quarter of play. And they come back from twenty down in the third quarter uh, to win that game by nine. And it was and they don't they don't have Embiid. It's the first game of the year that they don't have uh, they they win without Embiid. Um, and I tell you that one felt pretty good for them. You know that that felt like a pretty satisfying you know victory. And that was one that really told me something about who they were. I think all three wins were extremely significant, so I'll go chronologically. You have the Lakers first, and in that game you're playing on the national stage, right? And there were so many good things about that game. So the Sixers come out and shoot 10 of their first 15 in the opening eight minutes or so, and 18 of the Lakers' first quarter 24 points came courtesy of LeBron and AD. So they're both imposing their will and trying to set – 
like setting the tone early, but Phil's they were resisting the Sixers basically. And Joel Embiid at 16 points, 10 free throw attempts at the line in the first in the first half. So the Sixers are just imposing their will. They're keeping up with the Lakers. They control the game. And towards the end, they ultimately closed it out. Ben Simmons took a season-high 15 shot attempts. And you said it, the patented bucket. Tobias is out there serving grown man buckets. And that's what his game is. This relationship with Doc, it's not a myth. This is a real thing. And it's because Tobias has a coach he's comfortable with on the sidelines. He knows the system. They're both highly intelligent basketball minds and, in general, really personable people. So they created and established a relationship in Los Angeles. It continues in Philadelphia. And Tobias is just playing the best basketball of his career. And it's very similar to that 82 games under Doc Rivers because they have that connection. And now Tobias, he knows what his role is. And after a really emotional win, the Sixers get a good win. And now the win against Indiana – is crazy because the Sixers had a few games where it was like, all right, they won this game and they probably wouldn't have won last year. This was full confirmation because after these two emotional games, after a physical week beforehand, they come back from 20 on the road against a Pacer team that's the fourth seed during the time of this game, and it's all without Joel Embiid. So ultimately, that tells me that the team from this year – is incomparable to the team from two years ago, team from a year before three years ago, because this team is coached by Doc Rivers, and Embiid and Simmons are just playing to what we always thought they could play like now. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that I want to kind of point out was, like, Pacers were down, uh, well, Karis Levert, and then they were down um, T.J. Warren. So, I mean, the Pacers weren't exactly, um, you know, you know, all, all, at, at full go. Um, and, you know, also they trade away Oladipo. So maybe that maybe that looks di- – maybe that game ends differently with Oladipo playing or Oladipo selling the team or whatever. Um, but still, the, the Pacers should not have lost that game. Um, they they have a, a what looks like to be a pretty strong all-star candidate in Malcolm Brogdon. And, you know, they have Sabonis, who was an all-star last year. They also have good players around all of them. Miles Turner – um, we'll get into him a little bit in his in his recent, uh, uh, you know, talking, um, and you know all that. But I was really, uh, you know, Doc pulls that zone out, and it was really quite brilliant because you have Matisse in there, and Matisse thrives in that zone. So you feel like if anybody can sort of thrive and it, if anyone can sort of ignite a run in the zone, it's going to be Thibel. Um, and I thought he did a really good job of just being active and um, getting his hands everywhere. I mean, he's so long and, and, and lanky. His wingspan is incredible. And so when you have him and Simmons heading a zone, it's really hard to get the ball past the perimeter. Like, like how many possessions were the Pacers like entering the ball into the post? I think it was all, you know, swing passes um, to the outside, try to get threes. It was pick and rolls um, to get to get like, in the little floater territory. The Sixers were just all over them, and I thought it was. And you know, I think it kind of tells you like that the Pacers really don't have any floor spacers because the Sixers they said they they, they practice it for about five minutes total um, the zone when they you know before they threw it out in this game yesterday, and yet they they looked like they were seasoned vets in it. So I, I, does that say more about the Sixers being good in it, or does that say more about the Pacers just they got a little bit there of poison, and they had no idea how to interact. Like I tweeted, I tweeted before the game. Like this team doesn't take a lot of threes. They don't make a lot of threes. Try going zone, and without a sniper, they 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 really, really, really hurt, and they lacked any kind of offensive, um, you know, solution down the stretch of that game. Really allowed the Sixers to get back into it. So it's funny because my dad linked me to an article that talked about Doc Rivers in the zone and essentially how he goes somewhere every summer, every off season and has these conversations with people. And they ask him, we've had a zone in our playbook. We're never going to use it. And Doc doesn't really use the zone. And when he implemented his own defensively in Los Angeles, Tom Thibodeau jokingly said, I'm disappointed in Doc. 
because of Doc's tendencies with zones and how he feels about them. So Doc was willing to go with the 2-3 zone, and it's the reason why the Sixers won. If you look at what DeMontis Sabonis was doing, quarter one, 25% usage. Quarter two, 33%. Quarter three, 38% usage. So by the third quarter, he's the most involved offensive player on Indiana. He had 12 points in the third, and he took four free throws. So he was controlling the outcome of that game in the third quarter. Philadelphia goes zone. Sabonis didn't take a shot in the fourth quarter. Malcolm Brogdon, who was getting buckets through three three quarters, he shot 0 of 4 in that fourth quarter. They had one turnover. They didn't even make a shot from the field. And the Pacers, in the last five minutes and 57 seconds, didn't make one bucket. All of their points came at the line. So that tells you how good the Sixers zone was. They completely took the high post away. Sabonis couldn't post up. The Pacers couldn't run the two-man game because the Sixers just had too much help in the paint. And because of it, they were able to rally, and they kept the game in striking distance for long enough to where they could win the game. Credit to the second unit, Austin, because in the third quarter when all five of them were in the game, the deficit was 16 points. They brought it to eight points for when Ben came back in. So now you have Ben and Tobias and three guys out there that brought this game back essentially. They had all the momentum in the world. You couple that with the zone that Indiana couldn't even score against, and that's how you get that win. The thing about the zone, which you kind of alluded to, is that you have Matisse at the top, and he's 6'5". Ben Simmons is also at the top, who's 6'10". Matisse has a 6'11 wingspan, and Penn has a 7-foot wingspan. Yeah. So imagine your center trying to post up. You've got two guys with essentially the same 7-foot wingspan. Paul, can you? You can't post up there. You can't dribble through the middle. So the only way to beat this Sixer zone is to shoot your way out of it. And the best thing about that is that Joe didn't even play. So if Joe's in the middle of the paint, Indiana has way less production in, in driving and around the rim. So uh, defensively, the Sixers have a really good luxury where they could switch everything. They, they could just get really creative and just shut teams down. Yeah. Uh, now, Brock, uh, we do have to talk about our partners at the King Cobra. Do you want to speak about that a little bit? Yeah, so this right here is called a King Cobra, and if you like shotgunning beer and you would like to increase your shotgunning time at parties, you got to check my boys out at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and it fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's at the King Cobra Co. And Cobra, you already know. It's spelled with a K for a 10% discount code on all products. Enter the code, trust the Cobra 10, all caps. One word, pick yours up today. Let's get back to the Sixers. <laughs> Tremendous. Okay. So um, so let's talk about a couple more things with this Pacers game. Um, the first thing, um, I, I, you know, I wonder if we see more of that zone in those – Dwight Matisse Ben minutes that are out there like to bridge the first quarter to the second quarter because in that fourth quarter they use that zone a lot with them there and it was like the only time they were ever really effective on defense and it just kind of created transition ops um for, for for them to get open shots and like all you have to do is put like Korkmaz or or you know another shooter out there um with them and basically they're just running into spot ups on the, on the wings and in the corner and Ben's feeding them or getting dunks. Um, so I think the zone something that we could see them be, you know, using more way more frequently um, after the success that it had last night. Now, if they, uh, if, if a team opponents make, you know, one or two shots, you got to adjust and then get out of that zone. But I think at least until some, until teams prove that they can, that they can do it. Um, and until teams, you know, make those threes, they're going, you know, it's something that's worth exploring because you're just not getting any positive value out of those three-man lineups of Matisse, Ben, and Dwight. Um, now, there'll be nights when teams are just missing shots and it'll work. There'll be nights when teams are making shots and maybe they're already down 10 by the time by the time you put Dwight, Matisse, and Ben in together. And then, you know, they put in that, they go, they go into that zone and then suddenly the Sixers are down by 16 because the teams are just making threes. Like, like, 
it's 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 gonna be it's gonna have to pick you're gonna have to pick your poison with it on some nights, but until you unless you decide to go for a stretch five or you decide to not play Ben and Dwight together, you're gonna have to find a way to have productive value on the defensive end because the offensive value is hard to come by in in the half court uh, with those with that with that three man lineup. Um, now let's let, let's let's discuss. Um, you know, speaking of Dwight. It feels like he commits an offensive foul like once every three possessions. I think he's on a 24-game streak with a technical foul. I can't confirm that. I've just seen it on Twitter. So what I know, I, I don't know if it's entirely true, uh, but I, I have seen that apparently he's on a 24-game streak with a technical foul in 24 straight games. <laughs> love that. Always got to love that. Um, superhero 18 says doc one coach of the month today. And it's totally deserved. This dude has just been everything we expected when he hired him. And I can't wait to continue this journey with this team. Um, yeah, I, I think he's been t- tremendous for them. I think they all genuinely respect him and they all like, listen to him and they buy into what he's doing. Like last night he said the reason that they won that, like, 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 the comeback was because they bought into the zone. They were about it. They, they believed in it and they were able to stay they were resilient in it. And then they got the momentum. So I think he has buy-in from everybody. Um, now there are certain things that like the rotations aren't great at times. Um, and, you know, some of the, some of the schematic things I think are a little bit problematic, but I think general, generally he's, he's, he, he has a better feel for the game. He switches things up when needed. Um, and I, you know, I think he understands when to let Joel go, when to, ha- how to use Joel appropriately, how to use Ben appropriately. Um, and that's something that, for the most part, if, unless it was like a perfectly fitting roster around the two, um, Brett Brown couldn't do, especially last season. Um Brock, what, do you have any comments on, on Doc winning Coach of the Month and, and all that stuff? Yeah, so here's what I'll say. I've said that Doc was the biggest addition of the Sixers offseason and his system. And there are sch- some schematic problems you talk about. Like defensively, if you watch the pick-and-roll coverage, the Sixers go over screens and the center drops. So at that point, the guard can just manipulate coverage and get buckets. And the problem with doing drop coverage is that teams can beat you all game like that. The benefit would be maybe taking away the three-point line. But then again, if you pull the center too far out from the basket and you try to hedge or switch, the six or centers just get beat by speed. And that's completely fine. They're seven feet and they're heavy centers. So that's that's going to happen. But ultimately, other than that, I think Doc has been flawless in Philadelphia. And the crazy thing is he's just simplified everything. He's playing to his players' strengths. He's instilling confidence in Tobias. He's giving him a role. So Tobias is thinking quicker. He's not making these long, thought-out decisions where he's got to dribble five dribbles. No, he's quick. He has the ball in under two seconds. He's dribbling one and a half times. He's really not having to do too much. He's just playing his game. Ben, it's simple. Instill the confidence in him. Let him play his game, the floor game. Doc loves his floor game facilitating, collapsing defenses, triple penetrating, creating open shots for his teammates, defending. That's all great basketball that heavily impacts the game. So he's letting Ben be Ben. And Doc played in an era. Listen, Austin, these old heads, they wouldn't speak so highly of this ball game if it wasn't true. So when you hear guys 40-plus talk about basketball, they talk about the GOATs, Hakeem, Carl, All the GOATs, right? Jordan, that entire era, even beforehand, with Bill, James Worthy, Wilt. They speak so highly of these guys, and it's for a reason. These guys pioneered the sport. So Doc played in an era with players that kind of pioneered the sport. He's been around players that pioneered the sport before him. So he's one of the best basketball minds you've got on the planet now. And all he's doing with Joel Embiid is exactly what all of these basketball minds, all of these old heads have wanted the Sixers to do with Joe for years. Joe has the potential to be one of the most impactful, one of the most dominant centers of the entire sport ever. 
Offensively, he has that upside. His ceiling is limitless. And the Sixers are just putting Joe in the post, giving him the ball, spacing the floor out, and then letting nature run its course because it's as simple as that. Joe has the makeup of one of the greatest centers of all time. He could be that, and it depends on his health. If he's healthy, there's no reason why on his trajectory he can't be. But the Shacks, the Chucks of the world, even though some of it's a bit, they wholeheartedly want Joe to get in the block and score 28 and grab 12 a game because they know he can do it. And Joe's proving to them, the rest of the league, and himself that he can do it. And this is nothing that we didn't already think was going to happen. You probably remember the first time you watched Joel Embiid and you were like, what? What did the Sixers just get? Like, what just fell into the Sixers' lap? I wouldn't say maybe fell in their lap because they – no, they, tanked, they, they tanked for it, but luckily Andrew Wiggins uh, got Embiid into the Sixers' lap. Um, but you, you remember watching Embiid two, three, four years ago, and you're like, what did the Sixers get? This guy is a freak. And you kind of forgot about that in the past year or two because he got those bounces on the rim against Toronto and that entire scene. And then you have what happened last season. Al Horford became – a $109 million man in a Sixer uniform, and the spacing was atrocious. So everyone kind of forgot. But Joe's not doing nothing new. He's not doing anything that we haven't seen before. He's just getting sharper and sharper and perfecting his craft. And Doc Rivers and his staff is staying out of the way. Get this dude the ball, and he'll do the rest. For sure. Um, Kiet Lee says, Matisse slash Simmons 2-3 zone. Two three is crazy. I agree. Um, superhero team makes a really good point here. I do think there's an inherent bias with zone defense in the NBA. It's because the zone requires quick twitch reads at the top of the perimeter, at least in the NBA, because players are quicker. It's exactly right. You can't be slow in a zone. You have to you, you, you have to catch the ball and immediately read and react. You get to, 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 to sort of catch the defense off guard. That means you're either rising up for a three pretty much immediately or you're you're jabbing and 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 you know trying to pull the defense to, to one side and then going to the other side and trying to attack the trying to put pressure on the paint with that. Um, and I think Tobias is, is generally pretty good at that, but there's definitely a man amount of quick, quick, twitch, quick twitch athleticism and agility that you have to have in order to be effective in a zone. Um, and yet also of course have to have shooters. Um, now um, let's go over to the Timberwolves game because that was something. Um, that Timberwolves team is horrendous, horrendous. I mean, my goodness, that is one of the worst basketball teams I think I've ever seen in my entire life. They don't play with any energy. They turn the ball over to no end. They they, they don't make open shots. Like they just don't make open shots. D'Angelo Russell is like taking these fadeaway eighteen footers going out of bounds, and you're like, what are you? What what is this? It's it's horrible basketball. Yeah, it's it's ugly, and I, I feel bad because I'm rooting for some guys out in Minnesota, notably Cat. I need Cat. I need him to have some great years, many blessings coming his way because he's had to deal with a lot lately. I love D'Lo to death, man. He's one of my favorite hoopers. So I'm hoping – I mean, he has these games where he's one of the streakiest shooters in the league. So part of the problem. He's part of the problem. He, he may be. Uh, Ricky Rubio's having a tough year, contrary to what's been happening in his, in his past two or three. He was contributing a lot as a point guard uh, this year. It's been a little sloppy for him, but I guess Ricky's an OG of our generation, so you hope he does well, and, and so on and so forth. But the the thing that I was more so looking at, not how bad Minnesota was, but how bad I felt for Minnesota for having to defend Joel Embiid with Ed Davis. You, you, you had, no chance. No chance. That's 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 dog food on a silver platter. And Bede was getting the ball. Like this is crazy to be honest, because I'm watching Embiid this year, and I watch the games of my friends, and we see Embiid go to work, and we see him like do his little jab, a little shoulder shake, fake one way, get the defender out of his shoes, go past him, just bully his way in the paint, do something, and I'm looking at that, I'm like. Are you guys like make sure you understand what's happening right now? Like you got to appreciate what's happening right now. I'm convinced that this is Embiid's his origin story. 
Like, this is where it starts. He had the double bounce disappointment, lost against the Celtics. He got him crying in the locker room on the way out. I think this might be his hero origin story because he's just hooping like a generational great. He's he's dream-shaking like Hakeem. He's just bullying guys. He's getting to the line 16, 18 times a game. And Austin, if you don't understand anything about basketball, just understand this. If you send a guy to the line 10 times a game and he can take 18 free throws, you're screwed. You're either in a really close game or you'll have, you're losing the game. Because that means that this dude is just getting to his spots and he's imposing his will. And if the Sixers can get out and do that early and set the tone with Joe imposing his will, it's game over. The only teams that will compete with that are the Lakers or Utah maybe, teams with defense that can also trade punches on offense. But if Joe gets set on the block early and gets his positioning, you're done. You're, you're, you're really done. And the thing I like about Doc is that this year with Joe, he's not babying Doc. There are some nights where, yeah, maybe Joe could come out and jog for 25 minutes against the bottom three seed. But there's really no point, in my opinion. If Joe thinks he needs the rest, if the team's taking a cautious measure, then they should do that. But Doc's not babying Joe. In these games, he's applying pressure. He's keeping Joe in and keeping their foot on the gas. And he's saying, if you want to rest, if you want to take your shoes off and be done, you can do it after you beat their ass for three quarters behind the bench. But I'm not going to let you sit on the bench and watch this team lose to a bottom three seed so everybody can complain that Ben Simmons sucks and you got to trade him. So Doc's not babe anybody. And like I said, he's just playing to his players' strengths. That's right. Um, now, we, before we get back, to, before we back, talk about Timberwolves games and more, I did talk to you about my friends at Thrive Fantasy Sport. Come hashtag prop. Oh on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. Uh, it eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in a respective sport. If it's the NFL, you just choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. Got the Super Bowl this Sunday, Brock. Who wins? I'm going with the Chiefs, man. I'm rocking with the yeah. Chiefs. Don't lie. Um, if the NBA, uh, MLB, PGA, or even eSports – um, you can just choose five out of the top ten player props options to build your lineup. Each prop has a date as a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on the, its likelihood to occur. And then the more points pick up to win a share pool. Um, use promo code Simmons for three. That's gonna be Simmons, the word for F-O-R three, number three, Simmons four three when you sign up for today and you will receive an instant deposit match up to $50 on your first deposit of $20 or more download thrive fantasy in the app store um, or PlayStation or play store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com um, sign up and hashtag prop up today. Now so, listen, um, I got to get as good as ad rolls as you are. Okay. You're a seasoned vet with the ad rolls. You, you, you gave me – I'm really – listen, man, I'm out of my element when I give these ad rolls, but you're a seasoned vet. That's all I'll say. I don't know about that. I don't know. Oh, about you, you just executed that one. That was precise. Listen, I just – what can I say? Um, David Lopez – or no, sorry. Let's get back to the, the Timberwolves and then we'll get to David's question. So um, I, I got to say, there is no one in the whole state of Minnesota that could stop Joel uh, on Friday night. But I'll tell you that I really like Anthony Edwards as a prospect. Um, uh, Superhero 18 says Anthony Edwards is the number one pick is just, I, I know the draft was dis- disappointing, but clearly LaMelo ball is better long-term prospect. I really like Anthony Edwards. I think he, his decision-making is erratic at times. I think he's super athletic. I think he has touch from deep. Um, it's just about getting in the gym in the off season and sort of, sort of uh, sanding down on some of those, you know, sh- uh, bumpy edges but i think i think i I like his game a lot and i think he's going to be a a good player in the league yeah and's got real good bounce he's an incredible ball player in terms of crafting his own shot and and maybe creating offense for his teammates by penetrating with the ball or collapsing a defense uh but Ant's a really good prospect i just can't tell you who the rookie of the year is right now i hate to compare three players but i want to give credit to Lamelo ball i want to give credit to ant 
And I think James Wiseman deserves credit out in Golden State too. Right now, all of these rookies look incredible for having an altered season with the NCAA and Wiseman not even having played and just getting in the gym and grinding for maybe a month and two months and having to play in this pandemic world. These rookies are killing it. LaMelo Ball played 30-plus minutes in the past two games and got his start, first career start tonight. And although it was ugly, he didn't shoot great from the field, and he got his fifth foul on an unavoidable play, in my opinion. Uh, he's looked awesome, absolutely awesome this year. Wiseman out in Golden State is the perfect fit. He's shooting the ball well. He's banging, and he can get in the glass. So I really like him as a prospect. And, and it's unfortunate that all hopes and dreams die in Minnesota for some reason. They can't figure it out with Cat. Wow. They can't figure it out with D'Lo there. Malik Beasley got a really good contract, and I love Beasley, but for some reason they're 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 losing in Minnesota. And I hope Ant is maybe able to either turn the culture around there, or they get him some complimentary pieces to win. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought the Sixers kind of took care of business. That was that was really all it was. The team was putrid. Um, th- if, if that team was any good, the Sixers would have been down by 27 points in the first half. They couldn't make shots at all. Um, and I just thought – I thought that, that that was a game that just kind of showed how bad the Timberwolves were. They had no energy. They weren't inspired at all. Um, my guess is that Ryan Saunders probably isn't very long for Minnesota. No, I wouldn't think so either. they got to change the culture around there. I don't know if it's a new coach. I don't know if it's the system. I don't know if it's the injuries. They've they've had a plague of injuries, but uh, M- Minnesota basketball has just been tough for the past couple of seasons. Back to my buddy about about Luca, that's like trolling him because he's a big Mavs mm-hmm. fan, and Devin Booker to the game winning shot with like two seconds left. So I'm, I'm telling him, I'm, tell, I'm telling him, I'm telling him that Mavs got to rebuild. Luca clearly can't be a number one. <laughs> <laughs> So it's crazy that everybody said everybody said Luca was going to win the MVP. Everybody had Dallas pegged as a top three seed, and right now they're not even in the playoff picture. You get KP healthy, uh, maybe they turn things around. I'm sure they will. It's still very early, uh, but listen, things aren't looking so good in in, in Dallas right now. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I gotta say, I I think there are a lot of teams. Um, you know, that are that are kind of in trouble. But real quick, David Lopez says, "Why did Daryl Morey say this is a championship or bust season?" I think every I think every season Daryl Morey treats it like that. I mean, he goes and I mean, he has so much roster turnover because he sees a different way to build a team every every season, and he wants to reinvent the wheel a little bit and and sort of change things up. If you get complacent, it's it becomes very hard to to to, st- to stay with the big with the big boys. Um, and I think, you know, Daryl's the kind of guy who views every season as a new window to win a championship. And that's why it's always championship or bust. Um, I think he believes it. I don't know if fans believe it, but I think Daryl Morey believes it. Uh, I think it's the way he's always operated. So it doesn't surprise me that he would say that at all. Brock. I think, yeah, a little bit of it is speaking to PR. That's always going to be a little bit of the reason why, but ultimately last year was essentially a second round championship game or bus season, but people didn't necessarily care because it was more so getting rid of Brett Brown. This season, the reason why it's championship or bust is because Doc Rivers is a championship head coach who's coaching this team that has championship-esque talent on the floor every night. Ben Simmons and Embiid are 14-1 and one together. Their offensive rating is 119 Their net rating is 14.3. They have the most steals and blocks of any contending duo. That's Tatum and and Brown, LeBron and AD, KD and Kyrie, uh, Kawhi and PG, any contending duo. Joel and Ben have more steals and blocks. They're playing well together. They're shooting 54% from the field together. They're holding their opponents to just 45% shooting from the field. They can win a championship together. And right now, those two are playing at a championship level on some nights. Tobias Harris, you add him to that equation. He's having an off-the-chart season. I don't know if people fully understand the season Tobias is having, but he's two or one. Joe and, and, and Embiid are two on that list as well. 
He's one of six players with 250-plus points on 50% shooting, at least 15 steals and 15 blocks. That's off-the-charts production. They're getting that and good isolation D from Tobias. And you pair that with a couple of other pieces. Danny Green has won three championships. Seth Curry is a Curry, okay? I don't care if Seth Curry's won a championship or not. He can contribute on a championship team. He's just that good. And you've got guys off the bench, three of them at least, that can score 15-plus on any given night. So the team on the floor right now is a championship team. There's two things that will prevent that, though. Either the health or the other two teams in the league, the Lakers and Brooklyn, who are just loaded with superstar ammunition. But if the Sixers play this motivated and they stay healthy, they're one of, if not the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And I would say even all of the NBA. Yeah. Um, I think they're top three, top four for sure right now. Um, Brock, your stats put my dog to sleep. Um, he's just out, out for the count. That's a cute dog. He just Kevin is just out for the count right how now. How old is your How old is your dog? He's about five, six years old. Yeah, no, you just woke him up. You, <laughs> him you just woke him up. You know what's funny is whenever we're like do his thing. here he is, here he is, he's up now. <laughs> I, I bothered him. Um, that's yeah, funny. You just woke him up. You ruined his night. Yeah, that's funny. Like I'll be, I'll be, I'll get up in the middle of the night to like, go to the bathroom or something, or get water. I'll come back to my to my side of the bed. He'll be like all bunched up under my pillow, like like he it, like he just assumes my position. I'd like move him out of the way every without fail every single night. He, he, he he's a terror. That's how little dogs are, though. Um, hey, it's, just- <laughs> it's, it's his world. I just live in it. Um, by the way, my buddy removed me from the group chat. So <laughs> that tells you how he took that. <laughs> um, Mupson 68 says, love the content boys. We appreciate that. Can I ask what your thoughts on a JJ, on a JJ reunion? So we, this is a good way to, to sort of, uh, you know, bridge to that conversation, that topic we wanted to talk, talk about. I think you and I are both in agreement that JJ Reddick's are really, 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 um, good piece for this team. The thing about JJ is he's not going to rely on his athleticism. He's going to rely on his shooting and shooters usually don't lose. Like I, I think if Ray Allen, if Kyle Korver, any shooter that's like thirties and forties, if they went out and shot a basketball, their form would be the same. You, you don't, you don't really lose that. So JJ is not a guy it's going to rely on his athleticism. He's going to rely on his teammates game to get him the ball and create shots for him, give him screens so he could get around them. And the Sixers have the perfect players for JJ to do that with Joe to give JJ so much space, Joe seven feet, 280 pounds and Simmons could set, set screens for him. They could run the handoff. So JJ is familiar with these two. He's familiar with the system and he's familiar with doc rivers. Having said all of that and the personality he was in the locker room, I think J.J. with Philadelphia would be a fine reunion. I don't think he should start. And with the season he's having, he's shooting 29% from three, I think, seven points a game. It's just tough to get him shots in New Orleans. His teammates have to create him shots, and they're not really using Zion to create shots for J.J. with screens. So I think J.J. would be fine in Philadelphia. He shouldn't start. But if you only have to give up a little bit of draft capital, like the second round pick or two of them, I think you absolutely do it. Yeah, you know, I if it were like any other thirty six year old shooter, like let's say it were Kyle Korver, for example, I would say no, don't don't you know, don't do that um, because I, I I don't see the I don't see the value added um, in there. It's a guy who you know Joel doesn't really know. Doc doesn't really know, um, and I, I just don't think that there's going to be much value added, even though Kyle, I think, in theory, is a better team defender um, than than J.J. is. Well, with, with J.J., he already has chemistry with Joel. He already has played for Doc. He's had some of his best seasons under Doc. Um, for a team that is, I, you know, I think recently they've been better with turnovers, but – I think generally I would I would venture to say right now they're probably bottom half in the league in turnovers. 
having a guy that you can fit right into your system when, when and play whenever Steph isn't on the court and just sort of put them, you know, like, you know, switch them out for one another. Um, and you can have that continuity as it with, with, with a sniper, someone that Joe has chemistry with. I, I think it's a no brainer, especially because like he's out of the rotation. He's having, he's shooting 29% from three. He wants out They're They're not, they have, they don't really have any purpose for him. He's not going to be that hard to get. The, 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 it's going to cost you maybe a piece or two, uh, or maybe like you know a couple of bench pieces to just to fill in a salary and then some second round picks. But I mean, I I I I think that's a good a, a good move to make. I think it's a, a very low risk potential and a very you know like it, I don't think it moves the needle that much, but I think it makes you a better team. And maybe maybe that's the difference between one or two games one, and that's can be the difference between a, a one seed or a two seed or a four seed. So I, I, I would certainly yeah, do it. It's not going to cost you – like I think people have to understand, J.J. Redick is $13 million for New Orleans. So they're not just going to take Terrence Ferguson, Mike Scott, and somebody like Paul Reeder or a contract filler for J.J. Redick. They're not going to take something that they couldn't already get from their second or third unit and just take $13 million back. So it's going to come down to who gives up the most capital between Boston, between Brooklyn, between Philadelphia, the contending teams. New Orleans isn't just going to trade for the second or third player off the third unit. They're going to have to either get some draft capital back or get a legitimate piece. Whether that piece can contribute for them, I don't know. But they're not just going to trade anybody just to get $13 million back with, with the same production they could already get. So it's going to come down to draft capital. If you could give up a second, maybe two of them, to just plug J.J. in on any given night, I definitely don't see why you don't do that because he can't defend. But if you throw him in the second unit with Dwight or Shake, maybe he can play alongside Tyrese Maxey too. They'll create shots for him. Dwight can still set screens for him, and he can still get, still give you 15-plus. He can still shoot the ball. Uh, so that could be the difference in a, in a crucial game. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I agree. Now, um, Ben Butler joins, says late to join, but glad I caught you. We appreciate you, Ben. I do remember I exchanged emails with you. Happy to have happy to happy to have you tuning in. Wanted to give you a little shout. Thanks for always tuning in for us. Uh, Marky, we need to find a way to get PJ Tucker. Uh, Brian Windhorst today on the Hoop Collective said that it was like going to be a first or three seconds that the Rockets wanted. So I don't know if he's worth that. I'd probably stop at two seconds. Um, but I, I just, I, I think those second round assets yeah. can be so valuable, um, that it's like, like if, unless you're, unless it, it, it's something that is a really big need, um, you might as well fill up those roster spots with cheap contracts and, and prospects that you can groom into becoming something. Jeremy Grant was a second round pick and look what he's doing now. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I think there's value in that for sure. Um, in, in keeping those picks, but I think they definitely need a backup for um, superhero 18 says, I can't wait for another month of the season with confirmation on lottery teams and certain players will be on the block. Yeah. And I think tomorrow, I think they sit us on the hoop collective as well, but tomorrow is a deadline for, you know, bundling contracts, um, you know, like salaries for, for trade. So I think we might see at least some like trade rumors tomorrow. Um, but, you know, I think th- this is like the date where, um, like combining contracts or like, like jumbling contracts together, um, is like a deadline. I don't really understand what the premise is, but I heard it on the pod today. Hoop Collective, so we'll see. Um, that power forward you're referring to for Sacramento, that would be, um, Nemanja Bialica, um, former sixer, yes, former, <laughs> former. Almost- yeah. Um, Marky says Dallas not good, doing too good with Josh Richardson over there. Um, yes, yeah. And you know, what's funny is like, he always talks like he was like, he was like the culture in Philly is this, the count, like, there's not accountability. Well, now who has the accountability? I, I, I love it when guys that aren't really that great talk too much. No, come on. I, I, I haven't really seen Dallas too much this year. Uh, that's a team I really haven't watched, and I know KP's been hurt. So I don't really know what their struggles are in Dallas, and they've been slumping. But 
I, f- I feel like they, they, they're going to turn it around. I feel like Rick Carlisle might turn turn this season around potentially. Now they'll get everyone healthy. I think COVID was out in West that kind of affected them a little bit. But listen, I never care what players say. So, I mean, Josh Richardson wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. Brett Brown wasn't holding guys accountable. And Joe and Ben have, have subtly said that this year. Uh, another indicator would be nobody said anything after Brett Brown got fired. Nobody really came out and, and, and said anything significant coming to his defense. Uh, he's not employed by the NBA now. I don't know if that's by choice or he wasn't getting interviews. But Jay Rich wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. Brett Brown wasn't holding guys accountable. There wasn't account- accountability from the top down. And I'm sure that that, that probably annoyed him. Yeah, for sure. Um, Hornets just beat Miami. We can't mess around that game. Uh, actually, a good point. The, um, the 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 Heat did lose tonight. They lost to the Hornets. Jimmy Butler missed like three threes in the last like five and a half minutes of play. Had committed an offensive foul. Heat are seven and thirteen. Jimmy refused to talk to the media tonight. He said he 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 skipped it. Um. It's not all great in paradise, is what is is what is what that comes down to. Um, what can we say, bro? Well, he was he was getting buckets in the fourth, right? I think he had like eight straight, or, or he had ten I, plus in the fourth, I eight straight I buckets. I, I don't I, I don't know about that, but I, I when seven, it when it when it went to the go seven, ahead, go ahead. they're seven and thirteen, and um. You know, they're thirteenth in the East. They 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 have a ways to go to get back into the picture. Well, the thing with Miami was the COVID. It, it kind of ravaged their squad for a little bit, and they were playing uncomfortably, and and not everyone was out there playing their normal roles. So I think Miami's still also going to turn things around. You got to remember, we're only a quarter through the season. The second half of the season really hasn't even been released yet. So. It could end up being maybe a one-missed playoff year for Miami, but I don't think it will be. I, I trust they're going to turn it around there with Bam. He's having a fantastic season this year. Now Jimmy's healthy. They'll get healthy. But I, I don't think they're a championship contending team. It's probably a little disrespectful to say because they were there in the bubble last year and they played great defense and looked good for a little bit against the Lakers. Ultimately, it was LeBron and AD. You, you can't really stop those two. But I'm not sure Miami is a championship contending team as it stands. I think maybe the conditions of the bubble propelled them a little further than they would have went if you have fans in a playoff atmosphere and rookies and inexperienced guys that go on the road and play in unfamiliar settings in a full-capacity playoff stadium, then maybe things are a little different. Maybe Ty Hero doesn't drop 30. Maybe Dunk doesn't go off and make eight threes. These are all hypotheticals. You can't take away from them what they did last year. But as it stands right now, I don't think they're a championship contending team based on who's ahead of them. Philadelphia will kill Miami in a playoff series if they're fully healthy. Brooklyn, they have the offense to outscore Miami in a playoff series. And I think Boston, honestly, has the team this year to beat Miami in a playoff series. And this is all without mention of Giannis and Milwaukee. Who I think if Giannis got another chance to play Miami, would probably be, be probably beat them as it stands right now. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to reserve all takeology for the end of the season. I have no take at the moment on who can beat who. Um, I will say that I do believe the Sixers are pretty well positioned, but I do think that the Brooklyn Nets are a problem. Um, well, no. I think they are their own problem right now, the Nets. Um, oh, so you're saying in a bad, they're a problem in a bad way. Yeah. No, they, they, they don't – I mean, as, as they can score as many points as they want. They, they, they don't get stops at all. They don't get stops. Like, they don't even try. They don't even try on defense. And maybe that will all come around with the playoffs and they'll start trying. Who knows? But I legitimately – like, like they're yeah, banking – defense, their, their defense does look a little – they're banking on scoring 142 points a game. That's what they're banking on. Problem is they give up 140 
five. Like, like the, their their defense is abhorrent, and I don't know that there's going to be anything on the market for them to be able to come in and make that salvageable. Um, now they'll probably be fine because they're super talented. They're you know a big three, but I right now it isn't all like you know they're that they're all that right now. Um, David Lopez said, "Should we just get a more experienced bench or make a blockbuster trade?" I think you need to make um, a move for a um, like 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 uh, just a piece to solidify your second unit. I, don't, I think right now Joel is in such a zone and Tobias is in such a zone. I don't think you need to add in something else that's going to take up more touches and and sort of disrupt that that chemistry and that that flow right now. Um, I think right now you just need to focus on maybe finding like a mid level shot creator. Um, like someone in the class of Will Barton is kind of what you need um, or someone like a Lou Williams. Um, but I, I just don't think rocking the boat with another star in the mix is, is the right move right now, especially because you're probably going to have to subtract one of your stars in order to get that guy. The thing with a blockbuster trade for me is exactly what you said with Tobias and Joe playing the way that playing the way they're playing and the floor game that Ben adds, you really don't have to add a third superstar. I think this is championship caliber team. Now, if Zach Levine's made available, and I don't think he's attainable, but if he is and the Sixers have an opportunity to get him without parting with the three I just named, then go get him. But I think that's highly unattainable. Ben and Joe are 14-1. and The starters haven't lost a game together. You don't mess with that chemistry. Joe, Doc, they keep talking about how they haven't even scratched the surface of where they want to be. So you don't want to mess with that. You don't want to start taking guys out and moving them around and forcing guys. So if there's a trade that you really just can't let go off the table, then take it. But if it doesn't require giving up the core that's going to win you a championship. So of 112 players that have a percentage, usage percentage of 20% or higher, there's 112 of them. Embiid and Tobias have two within the top 20. Their net ratings are both top eight of those 112. And they're two of 11 players in the 50-40-80 club, meaning 50 from the field, 40 from three, 80 at the line. That's unbelievable championship winning basketball. So there could be a regression, but ultimately I don't think this is a fluke because if you watch how these guys get their buckets, it's how they've gotten them their entire season, their entire career. So they're not playing out of their game. This is who they are. They just have a coach and a system now and enough spacing to allow them to play their game. And it's just simply street ball. It's a one-on-one. I'm taking you to the rack. I'm taking you off the dribble. If you want the stop, you got to earn it. And they're really not having an, an anomaly season. Yeah. Let's talk about the Lakers game real quickly because we haven't talked about that yet. Um, that is the signature victory of the season so far. Um, Joel, I think – played pretty well in that game, got to the line a bunch of times, um, obviously was hindered by the back and late in that game. Um, and, you know, th- but it felt like a classic old Sixers game. Like they take a couple steps forward and then they take a cu- one step back. And that was the game where they do that. They blow a 14-point fourth-quarter lead. Um, and the Lakers take the lead with two seconds left. Tobias Harris with the biggest shot of his life um, in, 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 that, in that moment. Um, Brock, what did you make of that flagrant foul on LeBron? I didn't like it. I mean, LeBron is who LeBron is. Like he's he's the goat of our generation. So I don't want to be disrespectful about LeBron or say anything about LeBron, but I didn't like it. I, I didn't think it was warranted. I didn't really think he should have done that. And that's just for the sake of the game of basketball. It's like a healthy Joe is great for the league. Everyone likes a healthy Joe. I mean, other teams probably watch Joe go to work. Like Ed Davis has to guard Joe. He's probably thinking, like, I can't stop this. Like, he's just sitting there amazed at how good Joe is. So right. a healthy Joe is just great for the league. Uh, for the sake of the game, I just wouldn't like to see that guy take falls like that, especially in the zone he's in. Uh, so I didn't like that. But I think there's also a little bit of room for debate. Because maybe LeBron didn't – I mean, I don't know. I, I I really don't – I don't know. It just shouldn't have happened. I don't like seeing Joe fall like that. You want to know my opinion on it, my last opinion? Well, you thought LeBron was probably going to get put on a poster. 
No, my last opinion was that it wasn't that flagrant. I didn't think it was that big of a that didn't uh, think it was, you're, you're saying what I was afraid to say, but I didn't think it was that flagrant. I, I just didn't. I mean, I, I thought it was like a slight push. I didn't think Embiid I, I, I thought there was a little bit of Hollywood there. And I thought there was a little no, no I, I think there was. A, no, a, when they played that full speed, did you hear how hard Joe hit the floor? Yeah, he's he's not hard. He's yeah, not playing Hollywood for that. That's a, little bit. a serious call. Come on. I, I I I I did not think LeBron hit him that hard. Maybe maybe he knocks him maybe 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 he knocks him out of the air, but I generally did not think that it was I I thought theatrically speaking it was probably a flagrant one, flagrant two, but I think in the in like the replay show, like oh this wasn't as bad as what it looked like. Well um, listen, I'll say if you saw it in full speed and heard it in full speed. Joe hit the floor hard as hell. Yeah, no. I'm saying that he, like when he hit that floor and you heard the noise, that's a serious fall. He's not taking that fall on purpose. So I don't think it was theatrics, but I will say I don't think LeBron pushed him as hard as the officials in the initial broadcast had made us think. When you watch LeBron's arms, there was definitely contact in the air, and LeBron kind of pulled his hands away. I left his hands in the same spot, but there was also contact from behind pause by Marcus Saul. So ultimately, I don't think I don't think Joe's playing theatrics there. Uh, he took that fall and it was hard. And I just didn't like to see it for the sake of the game. But I'm not a judge. So it, it happened and Joe was healthy. So forget about it. I will say this. I thought the I thought the call to flagrant on Joel like two plays later was a joke. There's no way. Yeah, that- See, that, that, that was just stupid. That that was that, ridiculous. That was a joke. That was an embarrassment that, for the league. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. I don't know why these officials – I don't want to be disrespectful about the officials, but they're like the, – they're the greatest with these reviews. Like, they they it's the easiest play. Everybody in the stadium knows the outcome. They go to review it, and they're sitting there watching it for like three minutes, just taking up all this unnecessary time. It was a foul. It was a turn. Whatever. You, you know what the play is. Come out and let them play. Yeah. I think a lot of these plays are like reputational. Like, like Dwight gets called for a lot of shit that is, I think, purely reputational and not actually like a fair call. Um, that's just me. If I had, if I had a, a basketball comparison, like there's days when I'm hooping. There's days when I'm definitely hooping, and you could compare me to like a five eight white Russell Westbrook. Oh my god! Like just dribble, penetrate, exploit the mismatch, kick, whatever. But there's some nights where you could compare me as a basketball player to Dwight Howard, and that's probably who I who I more closely resemble, because Dwight is a walking two fouls. Like he's just out there drawing fouls and and, and fouling people. I don't know how. I think it's just because of how big he is, and and he's muscular, so he just gets all these foul calls. But he's a check into the game, automatic two fouls on the box score. And it's just been that way for the whole season. Rocky, something else. Um, okay. A couple more. Or last one. This is going to be the last one. For tonight. Um, let's see. Jammer says, Hey guys, what's your opinion of Wayne Ellington on the Sixers? I think if you don't get JJ, I think that would be a really good fit. Um, now I think Wayne might want to go to a place where he's getting more playing time, but I think just the way that he comes off of screens, his gravity as a shooter, I think he can be a really good fit for this team. I've, I've had, I've had him as like, you know, someone on the watch list for the last three, four years for them. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people have thought Wayne Ellington would be a good fit, and he has some PA ties. But you're not going to say no to a 50% three-point shooter. Like he's statistically one of the best three-point shooters by percentages in the league this year, and he's been hovering around that 36 to 40% percentage for the past five, six years now. Uh, so Wayne Ellington's a guy you're not going to say no to if he's made available. He's a floor spacer. He's a microwave scorer. And like I said, with him, with the J.J. Redick, with those microwave three-point shooters that can navigate screens and get shots from Ben and, and dribble handoffs, they could be the difference in a game. And that game could be late in the season for seeding. That game could be in the playoffs. They can make a difference in a game. So I, I would never say no to Wayne Ellington or J.J. Reddy, as long as neither of them start. I agree. Um, Brock, where can they find you? 
Uh, on Twitter, at Landis Brock. On YouTube, at Brock Landis. And uh, also on the Painted Lines YouTube. Those are three spots so far. Yet. You can find me on Twitter, at NBA Krell. Uh, I'm, I'm frequently making guest appearances on you know, different TPL shows. You can find I, I cover the Sixers on the beat for the Painted Lines. You can find me on the press G-Lee. conference. The G League. <laughs> Today was the first G League of media availability, and yeah. Jason and I uh, have 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 put Justin on assignment, so we're getting them all set up for G League today. So we'll we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, I might try to do a couple stories on the G League just to just to you know, figure out some things about Ray John Tucker and all that, but we'll see. Um, as always, we always appreciate everybody tuning in, and uh, and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Pods. Um, you can you know, subscribe on SoundCloud as well. Also, make sure to give us a, a subscription on uh, on the YouTube channel, The Painted Lines. Um, we we do we do always love and 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 appreciate your tips. If you got any tip, if you want if you want to throw some dough our way, you can do so at my Venmo Acrell. That's just lowercase Acrell. I will make sure that Brock gets his fair share. Uh, as always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. We will see you uh, soon for another episode of the Feed to Embiid. Stay solid, baby. (laughs) Solid, baby.